It's This Week in Sleeves with your hosts, the great lord Joshua Regal and Sleazy K. This podcast has been rated Category 3. No one under 18 may be permitted. Let's talk some fucking partying with Herman Yao. Partying from circa 2007, but partying like it's 1993 or something as he returned with a Category 3 Black Magic movie at that time starring Mark Cheng, and that was called Gong Tao and Oriental Black Magic. And uh, coming up in the episode as well, we watch Loletta Lee go from cute girl in a variety of 80s movies over there at Cinema City to, and even DMB to nude girl in a variety of 90s uh, movies uh, when she grew up as we look at Crazy Love, a.k.a. The Fruit is Ripe. So we go from Loletta Lee with clothes on to getting it on, essentially. Someone was proud of his writing! (laughs) That would be me! (laughs) And it's almost something you can tell to your mother. Like it's uh, verging on, like it's not that vile. Talking about a nice girl who uh, did an honest living in movies. We assume, anyway, she, she was nice, and it was an honest living. <laughs> she she could have been killing puppies behind the screen. We really don't know. Yeah, who knows? That's my motivation for getting my cl- clothes up. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God it wasn't sync sound, this movie. <laughs> anyway, my name is Lisa Kay, and this is This Week in Sleaze 50. We're not going to celebrate that fact at all, uh, but it's always celebratory to have with me the great Lord Joshua Regal. So, welcome back, buddy. First show of 2017. The world has uh, is in uh, change and turmoil, depending on who you ask. But uh, we're here. We're still here. We're still alive thus far. So, until the nukes start flying, we'll keep talking about sleazy movies. And, and no ban on podcasting uh, yet. I've signed an executive order, okay? <laughs> that Josh and Ken are not allowed to use their microphones. They're going to go for extreme vetting, okay? I heard him do his little accent over there in Sweden, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Everything's going well. No chaos at the airport. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, this, show, this show, when it comes out in like a month or so, might be not be topical at all. Because None of there's... that will be topical. People are going to be like, what the fuck? That was like so January. We, we got February chaos. Well, March, rather. Uh, we got March chaos to deal with now, so. And then in 2018, when they're listening, they're just going to be no fucking clue what they're talking about. Because there be, have been 365 more uh, you know, fucking chaotic things to come out of Washington. Well, he said they we're going to write books about uh, about him and his campaign, and uh, he's, he's filling it up. That's for sure. And Coulter already did one, baby. <laughs> oh, they, she already, oh, oh, yeah, she wrote yeah. one just before the, uh, the election. Trump's America... You know, League of Awesome or some bullshit. <laughs> That's like a mobile phone game, man. League of Awesome. Available now on the App Store. Buy it. Please, you must buy my video game. My hands are big enough to play it. <laughs> uh, okay, buddy. Let's uh, let's uh, talk of something. Um, it was cool when that came out in 07. Like, yeah, uh, a fairly hardcore Category 3 Black Magic movie. I haven't seen those for a while. And those Black Magic movies, they, they were 
sort of they, they came in stages like Shaw Brothers did a couple cool ones and then there were a lot of low budget ones often starring Quan Hoi San from Hardboiled uh, Hardboiled he's the uh, boss that Tony Leung's character works for and often starring Ku Feng as well yeah, they, so it came impossible it became impossible to separate all of those movies and to boot most of them were called in English something sorcery evil sorcery and black sorcery and uh, eternal sorcery and uh, magic sorcery so it's just a, a big block of sorcery movies with those two guys but um entertaining enough uh, low budget exercises in uh, black magic goodness uh, but uh, here it's uh, we look back at uh, 2007 so Gong Tao and Oriental Black Magic and uh, we'll do that in a short bit but first of all this is uh, this week in Sleaze on the podcast on fire network we're located on podcastonfire.com we got shows on Hong Kong cinema new and old uh, Japanese uh, cinema Korean cinema Sleazy cinema in this case from both uh, Olden times and new times, and uh, we even do commentaries and bonus episodes every now and again. Uh, check us out. Uh, well, you you can um, you can write to us by the way. Uh, first, if you have any uh, questions or feedback, any opinions of the movies, Herman Yao, Mark Chang, Loletta Lee, uh, podcast on fire at googlemail.com is your first stop to uh, do so. Uh, and uh, sharing that first place, I guess, is social media. We have handy buttons uh, on the top of our page leading to our Facebook uh, page. And uh, you can also find our Facebook group while you're on the page. And um, uh, leave a like before before you do, because uh, that would be very appreciated. But uh, the group is called Podcast on Fire Network. So join the discussion for show updates and uh, general good-natured banter. Uh, no trolling, uh, no politics, really. Uh, haven't even... I barely moderated that group, to be honest. It's uh, the most I've done in that group is to remove people trying to sell, uh, you know, bots trying to sell sunglasses and crap like that. Um, that's about it. So we're very friendly. We're a very friendly bunch over there. Join us on my Twitter by clicking that button. Uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. There's a button for that. And once you're uh, on the feed, leave a star rating and even a written comment. Uh, we we'd, we would very much appreciate that. And finally, stream us on Stitcher Radio. The button will lead you to their website. But on the App Store, aside from that uh, future mobile Donald Trump game, is the Stitcher Radio app uh, downloadable for free. And no, uh, no microtransactions after that. You can listen to us for free on the go via Stitcher Radio. And it's also available on uh, the Google Play sort of, uh, sort of App Store thingy. And I write about uh, these kind of category free movies, other Hong Kong movies, new and old, and Taiwanese movies, uh, mostly of a specific kind, either gritty social realist movies, female revenge movies, or rather like special effects tinted inappropriate children's movies <laughs> over there from Taiwan. The, the, the child of peach, move, peach movies and the likes. There's a lot of, not a lot, but like considering they're children's movies, some of these movies, they're very violent. And uh, and a lot of uh, a lot of pee humor as well. A lot of people get uh, pissed in the face in uh, these oh. movies. It's like a go-to like comedic goal for Taiwanese filmmakers making movies for children. But uh, but as you know, if you've seen a frenzied special effects movie or two from Hong Kong or Taiwan, you know, Fing Su Joshua, that's mm. sort of what Taiwan was doing. Lower budgeted, but very cool. And uh, so those Child of Peach movies, they're fun, 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 fun. Uh, Ma- Magic of Spell, Magic Warriors, those kind of movies. Uh, Kung Fu Wonder Child is a movie you might have encountered. Uh, but um, at any rate, that's at SoGoodReviews.com. I post little basic uh, video reviews over at SleazyKVideo.com. And my Twitter handle is at SoGoodReviews. A little uh, shout out, as always, to Shelf Life Clothing. They're a wonderful t-shirt range and uh, you can get that that from shelflifeclothing.com and Brian Kirby the creator has helped out with music for this show so he deserves that shout out hey Joshua want to plug your little documentary that you did oh yes absolutely I uh, recently 
got back on the bandwagon and created another episode of Weird Cinema, which you can find on YouTube. Search Weird Cinema, look up the channel, and you'll find uh, my previous documentary on IFD Films and Arts. Mm-hmm. And the most recent one is on Godmonster of Indian Flats, as well as the like associated works of Frederick C. Hobbs, an American filmmaker from the 1970s and 80s, who created some very very strange films that uh, have always kind of intrigued me. So I wanted to like learn more about them. So I'm like, well, you know, this is pretty interesting stuff. So might as well get the research done and try to create this, uh, another episode of the show. And I think it came out. Okay. It came out wonderfully. Well, I, I, I said it to you. I, I appreciated all the information. I didn't know anything about this filmmaker, not necessarily interested in watching the movies though, because it just seems like a tough, sort of thing to get through but that doesn't mean you you dislike a spotlight on that particular person and uh, i wanted to ask you uh, that god monster of indian flats and uh, ask joshua privately what that title means uh it's it's a strange one uh, that filmmaker is he still alive uh frederick c Hobbs, as far as i know yes did uh something weird video uh, get him in to do um supplements and stuff because something weird video when they put out stuff they create supplements. Uh, they got H.K. Lewis to do a commentary for multiple movies before he passed away and so forth. No, I think uh, Hobbes is a bit of a different character. Like The most that, that I've known of anybody getting close to him was in uh, the book by Stephen Thrower, Nightmare USA. There's an article in there called uh, Who's the Ghostest with the Mostest, which I get most of like the information for the documentary probably 75% comes from there, you know. Mm-hmm. And I still didn't give away everything, you know, because it's a great article and people should buy that book just for that he spent some time with Hobbes and he got to actually see the lost you know quote-unquote lost film Troika by um, being close to him and watching it at his house it seems and got to do a bit of an you know in-depth interview with him and all that but that's about the only interview I think I've ever seen with him he lets the work speak for itself whatever the work means (laughs) yes and like uh, as far as like Unfortunately, God Monster Indian Flats is the only film I know of, like currently, that has like distribution. In the past, some of his other films, like Alabama's Ghost and stuff, came out on VHS with like Elvira's introduction and stuff. Uh, part of her little, you know, midnight movie line or whatever. She didn't know what to say, really. Like, well, your guess yeah. is as good as mine. That, <laughs> she didn't say that, but she was like, "Well, this this is that movie. It's called that." This is a movie. Did did much of it end up in the public domain? Therefore, it's or it's uh, even uh, it's lost. I'm not sure if it's like a public domain at this point, but uh, I would love to see those films actually get released. You know, and actually, I don't know, love to see somebody contact him and get him involved in talking about these movies. You know, I'd, I'd love to hear more of like the behind the scenes about this stuff, like what made him pursue this type of movie. You know, obviously he's a you know, art centered guy. If you go to his website, it's all about painting and things like that and his sculptures and, you know, all of his uh, more prestigious work. And I'm just curious, like, you know, what drove this guy to make these types of movies? Cause they're so fucking outlandish and weird and bizarre. Just looking at how you describe how he likes to structure his life and his uh, artistry. It sounds more like David Lynch in that regard. Like he considers himself as an artist first rather than a filmmaker, even though, even though Lynch is still creating on that, uh, on that note. There's definitely, like, that's the thing about, like, his work. It's, uh, part of you wants to just be like, ah, look, he's Ed Wood, you know, like he's this guy, he didn't know what he's doing and made this stupid stuff. But, you know, obviously there's a lot of intention behind this stuff, you know, he, 
you know, God Monster of Indian Flats has all those weird throwback references to like the, uh, you know, 601, you know, six feet under, zero judges, one rope, like these, you know, 1800s uh, vigilante groups and stuff. He's obviously trying to say something to the audience, you know, or at least inspire them to think about these things. It's just surrounded by the confines of a weird genre movie. I'm sorry for simplifying, but, uh, simplifying it, but was it like a killer sheep monster, or what was yeah, it? Yeah, yeah that's okay. exactly what it is. Yeah, it's a giant sheep monster. Uh, you, I watch some of his films, and I get a very you know Jodorowsky type feel to it. You know, and Lynch isn't far off. I thought you were going to say like I get a very strange boner from watching his movies. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I'm going to put that into creativity. Absolutely, that too. But uh, no, yeah, like Jodorowsky, a little bit of Lynch, and then of course, yeah. You know, maybe a little bit of Ed Wood, somebody who's at times a little bit in over their head, you know, like uh, or forced to go in directions they don't want to go. You know, he'd be an interesting person to interview for sure. Yeah, I I brought up something weird video because I thought like if they can't get him to talk or track him down, then nobody, nobody probably will because something weird video if they're not one of 100 companies giving spotlight to these kind of things. Right. So, you know, it's a shame that they, they, they well, I'm, I'm sure they provided some as much context that they could uh, as they could. But, um, you know, the great thing is that at least some, something is officially available. Very cool, man. Uh, we'll link to a channel and directly to the doc. And uh, in the meantime, we'll take a musical break. And uh, after that, we'll provide you with a rundown and then review and discuss Kong Tao and Oriental Black Magic from 2007. And uh, directed by Ebola Syndromes uh, and Anton Stories, Herman Yao. So sit tight and we'll be back. And welcome back and a little brief rundown of what's to come because we have a few few sections. So if you if you want to fast forward to any of them, then you're free to do so. Follow the running times that I put in the show post. And the first half will be simply devoted to our talk and review of Gong Tao. But as we hit the crazy love section, we'll talk a little bit little bit of the cute teen young actress from from the eighties. When she started, I think she was about sixteen or seventeen, so she was nearly an adult. Um, you know, mid eighties. And uh, 87, 88. Uh, and uh, we'll talk of uh, Loletta Lee and her leap into adult films. Uh, and uh, then we review Crazy Love. And uh, those uh, time codes are available, as I said, in the show post on podcastonfire.com. Don't ask me to like break down why these titles, like this AKA for Crazy Love, The Fruit is Ripe, how that connects to later the fruit is swelling also the fruit is ripe they, they don't have anything to do with each other other than the fruit is swelling the category free version of big and the fruit is ripe free they're directed by the same person but that's it so they uh, i don't know where that uh, sort of almost connection comes from so there, there's really nothing to explain crazy love is is what it is crazy love so it's crazy it's love <laughs> it's crazy <laughs> this love is so crazy oh my gosh Okay, buddy, let's uh, talk Gong Tao and Oriental Black Magic from 2007, a plot from my review of the film, and this is going to be awesome already. Cop Rockman Chung, played by Mark Cheng. What a fantastic name for a cop, Rockman. 
they don't say it in English, unfortunately. Uh, so he has a Chinese name, uh, but the, the, in the subtitles is Rockman. So what a fantastic name. But Mok Cheng's character has uh, cop killer uh, Lam Chu, played by Kenny Wong, after him for revenge reasons. Um, uh, Lam Chu was uh, shot by Chung, but pulled through only with uh, the sensation of uh, pain uh, missing as a little bit of a negative afterwards. In the midst of this, uh, Chung's newly born baby dies under mysterious and graphic circumstances while Jeez. wife, yeah, we'll talk about that, while <laughs> wife uh, Capri, played by Maggie Shaw, you might have seen Maggie um, uh, stroll about in a variety of Milky Way movies, including PTU. Uh, she begins to act like she's got a spell on her in the wake of this um, horrible um, death in the family. A curse, rather, and Chung's um, superior soon, played by another Milky Way veteran, Lam Suet, has a fear that she might have had a gong tao placed on her. And um, he asks our, our, our rock man if he's angered anyone in the past. Dot, dot, dot. And we'll find that out during the course of the movie why there is a gong tao on the wife. But nevertheless, let's move into it. A short, brief opinion for now. Joshua, what did you think of uh, gong tao and Herman Yao's actual return to Category 3 in this sort of graphic and hor- horror vein? So uh, what did you think? Not, not a spectacular movie, but uh, definitely a fun throwback with a lot of... Uh, Great gore and you know weird uh, effects and blood. Good stuff. <laughs> Good stuff. I like it. Oh yeah, I agree. I agree. It's a solid cop thriller. Um, yeah. But that is spiced up with something more compelling, like gooey black magic nastiness. Um, so as a cop thriller, I mean it. It's, it's standard stuff. People spitting up uh, centipedes and whatnot. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, back in the day, they did did it for real. In this movie, it's uh, mostly effects. It's it's nice to see them go for it again, though, even if it falls short technically at points, and some of the acting is off. Uh, uh, we'll we'll get to that. It's not the biggest budgeted movie, so I'll, I'll I'll just say some of the effects work is excusable that it is a little off. But uh, as you see in modern movies, uh, Chinese or not, that even with a budget, CG is uh, is not. Uh, uh, doing its job particularly well sometimes. So. CG squib works. You're not the way to go. I've I've um, watched um, Call of Heroes for a show recently. It's the Benny Chan movie with Lao Ching Wan and uh, Louis Coop. Heard about that? Yeah. Not bad. Not bad. Considering I don't like a certain movie in Benny Chan's filmography, New Police Story. <laughs> it's entertaining and fun, and the action is great. And uh, they they did a better thing with blood in that one because most of the CG blood is during night scenes, so it doesn't stand out like a sore thumb. And then the ending is set in daylight, and there's a little bit too much CG blood because then it's just a cut and paste Photoshop kind of feeling to the CG blood. How do they do with the um the vomiting of uh, centipedes in that movie? They didn't have that in Call of Heroes, but if you yeah, they didn't they didn't. But if you track back to centipede horror, how did they do it in centipede horror? They uh, got the actors to do it. I think she has to do it twice in that movie, uh, in the narrative of Centipede Horror. Uh, Margaret Lee, I believe her uh, her name was. Uh, she spits out those centipedes for real, yo. <laughs> 2007, a little bit more mild on the on the actors involved here. But going back to Herman, this is sort of a, a check the filmography. Like he's done, you know, a wide variety of movies. You you know this, Joshua. Herman is not confined to untold story, Ebola syndrome territory only. Now that that is rather you know, in terms of volume and quantity, horror movies is not taking up the most uh, space there. Uh, he's a very versatile director, drama, comedy, but his first, his latest sort of category three hardcore movie, if you will, was Ebola Syndrome from 1996. And then he did lots of other stuff in between, even The Untold Story 3 uh, that came out in 1999, that wasn't even category three. So it was not like he went back to that well. 
pretty solid movie though, uh, to be honest. Uh, but he was busy directing uh, from Ebola Syndrome and onwards, obviously producing and uh, shooting a fair amount of the Troublesome Night series that went on. He was on for like six or seven movies. That series went on for like 17 or 18 movies. Uh, uh, eventually being shot on video. Just cheap, like uh, like, like low-budget, free stores in one type of horror movies. Um, when Hong Kong cinema was struggling the most, that was a way to get movies done. And uh, he also did acclaimed uh, kooky movies like Walk In, From the Queen to the Chief Executive, which is his uh, very acclaimed uh, social drama, a very, very fun, pleasant uh, romantic comedy called Herbal Tea. It's, it's always been busy, very versatile, and um, often deserves uh, the acclaim he gets every now and again. Uh, and that, that's why this feels like a return. But it's also a rare venture into strongly dark and graphic for Hong Kong cinema. More doable in 2007, I think, but I don't think it's the market is sort of uh, and investors are ready for it today with mainland China being so much more involved and uh, making a true Hong Kong movie is actually quite difficult um, nowadays to get a hit Hong Kong movie you sort of need to merge with the mainland and that's where things get difficult when when dealing with supernatural things and uh, certainly criminal things as you know um, it's well timed I think and um, efficient varied filmmaker capable of violent effect funny effect and he can be do poignant movies as well and you know, Herman refuses to stop working as well. It, he'd rather take a chance on a variety of premises, regardless of how dopey they are. Because when when he's done and the critical notices are in, he's probably halfway done on the next movie already. Because he, he does a boom, 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 working, working, working. He's also a cinematographer by trade, so he can do that if he wants. Well, another guy that returns um, to the category freefold, if you will, is Mark Cheng. You remember Mark Cheng, right? Uh, Rape by an Angel's uh, Mark Cheng. Hell yeah. What's your general thought on, uh, if you think back on his, like, um, you know, was he game in those movies back in the 90s, or was he sleepwalking his way through those movies? What do you remember of Mark Shane? Mr., you know, 100% handsome. I don't know. Uh, you could accuse him of sleepwalking, but I generally like the guy. I think he has that uh, kind of, even when he's in a small role or like a like one like this where, you know, he may not be putting in a great, great effort, I don't think, in this film. I still, though, he he has such like a leading man look to him. A little, little bit older uh, now by now in 07 too. So, uh, you know, he's never been a breakout star. He's been in big movies. He was one of the leads in Picking Up Our Blues. And, uh, but the Category 3 sort of was... Especially Rape by an Angel, but he did a movie called The Peeping Tom, which is not a great movie, but he is, you know, he's game for that. And I always um, liked that uh, he always got to work, and when he popped up in bigger movies, it was always nice, because you know he was going to bring at least something decent and professional. Uh, I don't know if you remember, if you ever saw Election 2, but he popped up in that one, and it was just, that man is handsome, he's present, and John is doing well with him. Obviously, the big, uh, the big re- the return vehicle for Mark Cheng, if you will, that everybody remembers, except me, I guess, or no one remembers uh, because it was such a crap movie, uh, was War. He was in the Jet Li movie War with Jason hey, Statham. Hey, that's top flight cinema, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it came and went uh, in my consciousness. I, I watched it. I only rem- can, I, can I spoil it for you? Oh, I don't care. Just go ahead. Fuck spoil it. it for everybody. Jet Li... It's like he's supposed to be the bad guy throughout it, right? And then it turns out the end, like he's really uh, fucking Jason Statham's best friend, but he's wearing like a fake face. Boom! 
Was, was, was that really it? I literally don't that, remember. That is, yeah, from what I recall, that's the, like a big thing throughout it. Because like Jason Statham's chasing him down, and then he finds out at the end, he's like, oh wait, these people he's been killing are actually bad people. And this guy, oh, he, he seems familiar. It's my best buddy who I thought was dead. Fuck! That's that's the movie in a nutshell. Riveting dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> and that was that was actually what he said right there Fuck. in an American accent too. <laughs> Fuck, dude. Uh, but Mark was in it. I mean, out of all people to cast, uh, it was cool. I think supporting role, one of the gangsters' henchmen, but got a little showcase there. He wasn't just in the background. He didn't just open the door for Morgan Freeman, a la Edison Chen in The Dark Knight. You know, he, he got to do yeah. some stuff. Uh, but but you're right. I mean, it's not a particularly great performance, but uh, it, it's it's all because the cop thriller is solid. He sort of responds to that because the tropes are, are plenty here. <laughs> There's like a secret, like after the baby dies, it's like, uh, like I don't know. I mean, maybe the character is just so involved in his cop life that he almost just takes like the death of his child in passing, you know? Like he's immediately on the news and everything, talking about it, like right afterward. Yes, we're trying to find the killer. They said they broke into your house and killed your baby. Yes, we are we think we're getting close to him, though. <laughs> you know, it's like, holy shit. There's only one part in it where he like almost cries when he's like, uh, you know, next to his wife, who is also, you know, traumatized and... But I actually like that. I actually like that because uh, he, she was obviously deeply traumatized and he was totally disconnected from her even pre the baby blowing up. <laughs> you know, because they, they, yeah, it literally does from the inside. And I, I don't know, because uh, Mark, uh, it was a little bit more understated than, um, not, not then. It was understated and I appreciated that. He was just not receptive to, those emotions. He's not a great dramatic like arc or anything, but I, I thought Mark handled that fairly well, and uh, does he doesn't need to speak about it all the time and doesn't have huge melodramatic scenes or anything uh, uh, either. So His wife definitely provides all the melodrama a person mm-hmm. could need. <laughs> yeah, that's where they rope... She's, she's great, Maggie. She's a wonderful actress, but uh, here well, there's things that are off in this performance. Some, some restraint could have been, you know... Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, so yeah, tropes are plenty. He's got a past harrowing memory. He's a cop with a troubled marriage. But uh, you got a veteran to sell that in front and behind the camera. So, so it sort of works. It reaches solid uh, based on that. And when focusing on Mark, I, I appreciate that uh, it 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 flows and it's uh, acceptable. And it's also made in this sort of classic tone and there's classic ambience in the movie you know there's rain there's a rainy scene in the beginning of the movie and there's a thunderclap that's gonna illuminate an alley and there you see uh, all of a sudden there's a guy standing there so that's not incompetence to me that's just herman well that's sort of how we do it so let's just try and do it well that shadow that pops up during the lightning flash that was very well done i thought it was nice even though i don't think that the logically i don't think that would work that way I think that was probably CG added in, but mm-hmm. it was an interesting way to enter a character into a scene, you know? Yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, it's they, they embrace that, uh, okay, this has been done a million times, and why reinvent Why reinvent the wheel? Just, just, let's just try and make it as solid as we can. And, uh, you know, Yao's eye for that, I think, is fairly strong in terms of visuals and ambience. But, but again, it's not aiming to be the next best great thing. Uh, it's aiming to be... Um, Good for this week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, why not? Why not? I... I I don't think Yao was uh, sensing that this is the next big uh, art piece out of Hong Kong, you know. Uh-uh. 
as we said, we got black magic, we got centipedes uh, in and around the movie, so it's quite in tune with horror and exploitation, but it's made with a more modern, slick touch, which can be a little bit distracting. Yeah. I don't necessarily need post-visual uh, effects uh, and camera style, and when I mean post, after shooting is done. With that involves whooshing noises and where frame the frames start to flutter and uh, we got uh, black and white sort of flashbacks and stuff. Mm. That reeks of a little bit of modern cheapness, I think. Um, do you know what I mean? Like those are sort of like... Yeah. Is that a sign of something good or something bad? Uh, it can be either or, depending on, on really how competent the filmmaker is and what they're trying to do. Like, Because, I mean, when you really think about it, you look back at like, the Evil Dead and stuff like that. Did a lot of that, the post, especially the audio in that film. you know. But it's it's handled brilliantly and it's done in a different way than had ever been done before. But like, here it's more like he they, they got the tools in the in uh, you know at the click of a mouse and they just sort of right. add it and it looks uh, like this looks cool. Yeah, so it's a little bit of that. I I, right. I I think Herman is a little bit better than this. Because it looks already suitably grimy and uh, you know that quick cut photography and uh, you know green filters isn't going to add to that. But then Herman does some category free stuff. As is the custom in black magic movies, uh, they're gonna make something that's gonna, you know, a, a mixture of some kind in a bowl of some kind. Yeah. And normally it was could be pretty gruesome. Um, they normally used real insects to put in there. You know, they often uh, pull out the like the poison the, the poison bag, whatever it's called, out of uh, snakes for real in these movies. They, they've sort of stopped doing that. They, they're, they're CG centipedes. But what they've started doing, and we've noticed this in both movies from 2014-15, and certainly in this one, they've started to get away with way more graphic body fluid stuff. Uh, so, shadow masturbating Joshua? Oh yeah. Top flight shadow masturbating in this film. As well as uh, creamy loads. <laughs> uh, and not in the shadows. <laughs> <laughs> no, not in the shadows. It's, uh, I mean, that's what one of the bad guys uh, does. That's needed for the mixture. Uh, not a convincing looking short of no. like fake cum or anything but <laughs> no not at all but modern sensors doesn't seem to mind this which i think is a little bit of a change compared to um compared to back then uh it, it sort of gets you like oh okay it's that kind of movie right it's it's one of those like i give up i give up not my kind of movie or you just go with it uh, i guess uh and, and in my opinion i think herman is a good enough veteran to make a moment like that not feel desperate. Desperate to matter. Desperate to like, hey, like me. I did a cum thing in the movie. Like, like me. It, it's all, yeah, I think he knows what he's doing. Yeah, I think so. As crazy as it is of a moment to see this guy whack off into a cup, basically, and get to see his jizz, it surprisingly fits into the mold of the film. You know, like this is definitely part cop drama, but also there's, you get the point that this is also exploitation. And we're going to show you some pretty vile stuff along the way. This is just a you know a little speed bump in the way. Like this, this is this isn't the you know grand ravine we're going to throw you off at later. There are some effective uh, speaking of issues again. Effective moments like when Mark Cheng and uh, all the police he's got arriving in that alley. Like there, there, there's tons of wind, obviously because it's a rainy night. But all of a sudden, Mark gets like uh, spots of blood on his face. And you realize that uh, there's a body strung up in the tree. Those are good moments. You don't need to accentuate it with uh, post-editorial uh, post effects or anything. Uh, those are good moments. Um, 
effects work, Joshua. It's a modern movie, so it's bound to use some CG. It does. Um, but uh, if we just focus on, for instance, the very nasty death of the baby, which we see on screen, it, is it effective using both CG and uh, a physical puppet afterwards? Or what do you think? I think it is. I think, well, certain parts of it. There's a sequence where some maggots come out of the baby and stuff that uh, it's not quite as effective. Yeah, like when you when that first happens, yeah, you know it's CGI, but wow, you know, you're just kind of taken aback that, wow, okay, they're going to kill a baby on screen, you know, and make it look like the baby's being stabbed to death brutally. From from the inside by by this yeah. uh, curse or whatever. It's not a, someone who stabs the baby, but... Uh, yeah, and uh, the the puppet that they show uh, on screen afterwards, so that is a piece of work. It's pretty right. vile. Yeah, and and obviously that's a still thing. So with they, the eyeball popping out, yeah. it's rough. Yeah, it's it's pretty nasty. So so the post effects are very very good, but the very CG uh, effects um, they they vary in uh, quality and certainly effect. This one vary in quality, but has an effect. Boy, does it ever. Uh, this whole like first 25 minutes or, or it's just uh, you know shit sandwich upon shit sandwich for these characters you know <laughs> because uh, as Mark is returning home I think to his wife that is, uh, is, he stops his car because there's something uh, you know under his tires and it's like two cats there or something like that so he has to pull those <laughs> no he's ca- a cat ripped apart exactly like, one half of the cat and the other half of the cat I so think. it's like and, and then the shocked wife you know so thank you Herman I feel better already, you know. But but I have to say, when all that happened, like when that firm tragedy hits us and hits them, I thought that sort of, uh, okay, we're going to go for it attitude was kind of cool and I wanted more. It was sort of like, may I have some more, Herman? <laughs> so yeah, he evokes a reaction, but without, it's not cheap cheap in terms of like look at me i'm making exploitation love me and, and they're doing stuff to look at the autopsy scene joshua they're doing stuff too that they didn't have the budget or manpower to do in untold story you know there, there was a lot of uh, like off-screen fiddling and cutting of body parts and what have you so they're getting there uh, but uh, you know in general do, do you feel can filmmakers uh, good or bad high budgeted uh, movies or not high budgeted movies can they can they achieve an effect mixing CG and post post effects and puppets like this? Is that the wave of the future, or should we go back to like Fright Night style physical effects? Well, you, you can't, you know. I mean, especially with lower budget, the computer stuff's so much easier and quicker to kind of do than you know. It's easier to pay one guy to sit in a room and sit there and come up with something rather than you know pay people to build prosthetics and then you know have one shot at a take you know it's the computer stuff just becomes such an easy out yeah would i love it if like you know that modern films were just like okay we're gonna make a you know exploitation movie a gore movie but we're gonna do all practical effects and it's gonna look you know as good or better than you know fulci and you know did back in the day Mm -hmm. i'd love that sure but it's just not gonna happen not on these lower budgets and you have to take, you know, it's give and take. You know, I wish filmmakers would do more to kind of hide the digital effects. I find that digital effects are, you know, best whenever you don't even notice them, when you don't even know they're on screen. And it's hard to do. Do we, Can we even go back to the to the mixture that Terminator 2 did? Because, yes, it was CG, but a lot of physical effects. Too. Do, do you think that can, we can get back to that at least? Or is that way too much specialized work nowadays? Could we? Probably. But... 
I mean, you have to look now at like these modern films that are like three hundred million dollars, and it's all computer generated. You know, it's like three hundred million dollars, and you're basically paying a team of like thirty or forty people to do computer, you know, digital work all day long. It's like, could you imagine if you added on top of that prosthetic effects and things like that? It's like, ugh. I think horror has a little bit of better chance. Granted, this movie sure. because of the effects of the black magic is so severe. I was looking uh, yesterday because, like M Night Shyamalan, this will date this episode, but he has the new movie out. What is it? Uh, Split. S- Split. Yeah, which uh, which I saw and liked. But anyway, um, budget for that movie was like nine million dollars, I think. Yeah, it's a Bloomhouse one, so they normally right. keep it low. And his uh, previous film was about five million dollars. Oh yeah, he's found footage thing, right? Right, and I'm like, man, it's like, wow, that's the budget of your modern horror film. I think that's sensible. Although with Bloomhouse, like when they have a hit, they sort of ride that coattails of that hit a little bit, like Paranormal Activity Eight. You know, you you should mix up, uh, mix it up. And granted, Split probably had a, like a twenty million dollar advertising budget, you know, because True. Uh, so it, it's uh, you have to be responsible that way. It all, you know, I, I think I still think horror, and we we're obviously that that connects to Gong Tao. I think horror has a chance to still sort of dazzle, dazzle us with physical gore and what have you. But 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 Gong Tao, as I said, it goes for it in a way that's just too complex to do physically. But, uh, you know, it's old now, but if you look back at Switchblade Romance or High Tension, you know, we, we can still do those movies at least. Uh, yeah. You know, s- splatter our actresses or actors in, in fake blood rather than CG blood. We can still do that at least. I don't know if I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Maybe there is something, but I can't think of a CGI piece of gore that's made... A person, you know, made me wince or people around me really wince the way that, like, in the, in the original Evil Dead, when that girl takes the pencil and stabs it into the back of that girl's, uh... Wait, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's the heel. You're a nurse, don't, don't you know your foot out. parts? <laughs> I can't remember. I haven't seen the movie at all. But, you know, I've never seen, like, that right there. Even still, I've seen the movie a million times. Yeah. But that right there still make me go, you know, yeah, because they, it stretches a little bit too. Like the yeah. uh, the, the fake foot that they uh, they built, uh, um, mm-hmm. it uh, tries to get off the floor, I suppose, a little bit. So it stretches a little bit. It's not static, yeah. right? And it, that's kind of like flesh does that a little bit, you know. And like part of you, you you know that it's fake, but part of you is like, fuck, the, you know, that just implanted this idea in my head that I wasn't thinking about before, and now I'm like, ah, oh, you know. Well, it's a sensitive part too, and uh, right, like like the way Herman, like what Herman does to the baby, that's right. super sensitive as well. So he get, I, I think that effect is gonna stay with people because it um it's it works and it's uh it's not something you expect out of movies. You wouldn't see even a fake baby explode on in an American movie anytime soon. It's just you, you don't do that. But it it connects to Maggie Shaw's performance and as the mother, and obviously. It, uh, she's traumatized. She's seen this, uh, found this, uh, you know, her child. You know, there is hysteria to be had, a logical amount of hysteria. You, you deal with grief and there's sort of, you're just exhausted and you just want to cry your eyes out. There's a solid emotional reaction in the beginning. And I like that it contrasts with Mark Chang's Rockman as he keeps it more in check. You know, it's hidden, it's pushed back. But then Herman lets her act that way all throughout the movie. Is that a problem, or is it a good thing for the movie? Her story would be okay for like one scene or two scenes, and then you kind of just leave her out the story, you know? Or, or have her just be sedated for the entire film, but continually bringing it back with her, you know, losing her shit in every scene. It, yeah, it's kind of annoying. <laughs> 
unfortunately it is i mean the, the, the idea is there like uh, right. a big big emotional reaction plus she has that curse placed on her right so she can't lay down on her back like it's a probably like a thousand needles going into her back and that's a terrific idea so you know when she slumps over the the little thing that they have at the bed to place their food on or whatever uh-huh. and and that's the only way she can sleep that's a terrific image but then they have like a couple of scenes in a row where she as you said just loses her shit every single time and of course it's warranted but it gets i i, I think that's perfect it gets unfortunately annoying <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and I know she's a better actress than that, and I know Herman can direct actors way better than that. Um, so I don't know what the choice would have been to just have her, you know, as you said, a bit more sedated throughout the movie, like just exhausted and can't express emotions as much anymore. Maybe that would have worked and be more tragic. But as is, it's just like, ah. Uh... So uh, it, it gets uh, the movie off course during her scenes um subsequently i mean she, she she's okay but it it ruins the effect a little bit uh, that lam suet's character just believes that uh, and has the theory sort of immediately that this is probably gong tao it's gong probably tao. it's probably That's believable it. for the local audiences though because there is an aura of supersti- superstition and eastern culture so it's not like um it's a far-fetched notion and uh, I, I sort of like lam suet's uh, sort of straightforward I think we have to contemplate that this is this is Gong Tao. Let me get you to Fung Hak On's character, and uh, we'll explain it all to you. Uh, did, did you recognize uh, Fung Hak On? Then uh, they have a little scene in a shack with uh, Mok Cheng and uh, Lam Suet. Uh, Fung Hak On, bad guy extraordinaire from many Sammo Hung movies, and of uh, Warriors Two, Iron Fisted Monk. He's in Police Story. You know, he was an action guy. I didn't recognize him. No, no, I didn't recognize him. A little bit older here, huh? Yeah. He passed away last year, I believe. He's one of he's in one of the Ip Man movies. He's he's uh, almost in, um, he's in Kung Fu Hustle as one of the uh, those um, harp players that throw out like demons and shit by playing the harp or whatever. Like, it's a big fight scene, but he has he has like um his uh, hat is over his eyes uh, most of the time, so you don't see him very clearly. But he, he's in Kung Fu Hustle, uh, and what I like about having Fung Hak on there, he he's now older. He's a veteran actor. He knows how to act. And Herman used him in multiple movies, including in First Seventh Night, which is a very good little ghost drama. Unexpected developments and unexpectedly poignant. So it, it's that Herman Yao thing of you might get something standard. You might get something that's actually quite unbearable, but he's past that already. And you might get something that just sort of, huh, I kind of feel flawed and uh, affected by this like well done still low budget still fast but well done you know and um he got um he got to act in first seventh um seventh uh, night i will ask you one thing are you familiar with the film mystics in bali i am i haven't seen it but i'm uh, familiar with i'm familiar with it and i've seen sort of the same site that you're gonna uh-huh. explain to us from the taiwanese movie which with flying head oh okay yeah, essentially, it's a, a creature called a liak. Basically, in most interpretations, usually a woman's head who becomes disembodied, you know, comes from off of her body, usually has the spine attached with, like, uh, certain organs, liver, heart, and lungs, I think, attached to it. Um, and then that head usually flies around, usually sucking blood from virgins, I think, or young kids and stuff. So it's kind of a creature from... Uh, like uh, Indonesia, I think, at least the version I'm familiar with from like Mystics with Bali. But uh, yeah, our our film here in the late goings actually uh, 
gives us a liak, a male liak. Uh, is it done through a puppet or through <laughs> some CGI? Unfortunately, there's a part in the film where we get a flying head, and uh, it's just kind of haunting. And it's like, but it's very much um, a mixture of puppets, but also when it it reminds me of like the effects of mystic in Bali. Cause it's not that far off mm-hmm. just a green screen, a guy wearing a green probably outfit with the, with the neck kind of, you know, cut off so that they can insert whatever. And yeah, it, you can see him kind of like the way he moves and stuff. He's obviously not floating. It's just, you know, his body kind of like moving up and down to look spooky. It's not super effective in like convincing the audience like this is real, but it is effective in the fact that like it's kind of campy and quirky and kind of fun, I think. And it manages to not derail the serious mood of the movie. Yes, I, I, I didn't expect it. I mean, Hong Kong has never really gone that far. And Taiwan had that one movie uh, from the director of The Devil, which is another fantastic uh, Taiwanese movie. Uh, but which with Flying Head has, uh, you know, it, it does it through using the actors for close-up and some puppetry and uh, things like that. I mean, it's an early 80s movie, so that's what they had to do. But they do it with energy and uh, f- f- to the best of their ability physically. And the, the movie, you know, t- turns out to have two bad guys. So, you know, Lam Chu, as is mentioned throughout the movie, the, the guy who Rockman shot, shot in the head, but who survived. And then there's the second bad guy. We won't spoil it, what, what his connection is to the past events. And... Um, they get the disgusting effect through because his his actual physical makeup looks disgusting, and uh, the what he does to his neck, regardless, because yeah. he, he say you you notice his head is slumped forward, slumped to the side, and despite I know we're hopping on about the CG thing, but the, the important thing is that Herman manages to get us to twitch a little and go like oh, rather than like been there done that CG again, and that's to the movie's credit. I think that okay. This is in 2007. This is how we convey this concept. And yes, we don't have a lot of money, but let's go for it. Let's try and not derail the movie. And I think overall they don't, um, despite going for it. You know, it's not just a second glimpse, a one second glimpse of it. We get that uh, spirit a la Mystics in Bali in several scenes. And uh, yes, it is campy because it's a head, you know, biting people, but. It's okay for this movie. I, while I'm not on board, like in crying about the drama or anything, but it manages to stay dark and within the sort of framework of the movie that Harmony I was aiming to make here, despite being campy and sort of goofy looking. Don't know how I did it. They continue that uh, some great physical effects uh, post events. There's a there's a terrible looking. Uh, hand uh, uh, hand shot, uh, and I mean a hand is shot several times. It looks. Terrible. One of the worst CG effects, as it happens. But the post effects. Exactly. Yeah, I agree 100%. You've got this character shooting this guy's hand over and over again. And, you know, somehow he's shooting the same spot, but there's different parts of the hand being damaged. It, it looks terribly fake. But then when they stop the CG and they pull his gun away, the mauled hand that's, like, left there as the character, like, lifts it up and twitches it around is brutally disgusting. And then that character played by Kenny Wong, who's I believe is a or was a, anyway a pop star, but I think he does very well as this. Um, there, there are some beats out of Seven here without spoiling Seven, definitely, definitely. Where, where this character he has the opportunity to 
play with the police and lead them and uh, and further his own agenda, so to say. There's no, there, there there isn't a reveal that's straight out of Seven, but there are some beats here out of Seven where that character is uh, controlling matters and he can't feel pain anyway, so no worries. No if he gets Throughout shot. the whole movie, I kind of had a Seven feel. So yeah, it's kind of like Herman Yao doing his own Seven, you know? And twelve years after the fact. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I mean, still, shit, people are still trying to remake Seven, so. And even the credits goes in reverse for this one. It was like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> if you remember Seven, they did it in. Uh, not in reverse, but it wasn't. Um, it was from top uh, yeah. to bottom rather than bottom to. Um, yeah, I, I think that's that's about it. There's a, a tremendous amount of blood towards uh, towards the end when the, when the head uh, when the head finally uh, bites someone and uh, the movie is like almost over and like you gotta you gotta do it you gotta do it before this happens. And uh, the making of is wonderful because they, they have the head attached to that actor and they just pump up like a pool of blood from underneath, like <laughs> a ton of blood. And and yeah, there are some tough choices here towards the end, which I think where Mark shines a little bit more because um, what they have to do like, to perform the ritual, uh, you know, including burying that pot and having the, like the snake and yeah. the CG kill each other uh, in the pot and all of that. Mm-hmm. Again, CG. I was engaged enough about in terms of those tough choices. You know what I mean? Like even though I didn't like Maggie Shaw's performance very much, but it was okay because it was disgusting and dark, and the tone is uh, compelling. Yeah, I thought it worked really well in that regard. So I, I, I think I conclude my notes. Here. Anything else you want to say about uh, Gong Tao um, for for people who, if, who feel squeamish about these things? Should they venture into Gong Tao? Probably not. <laughs> but <laughs> but for those of you who are more adventurous and you know like a little bit of uh, button mashing, a little bit of uh, crazy, violent, weird movies, this is worth checking out. Yeah, a little modern return for black magic and uh, in movies, and um, technically, it is what it is. Um, but um, at least we got one. And unlike a lot of the older films and stuff like that, there's really not much as far as like animal violence or anything in this. So that's one plus for some maybe some viewers. While the animals are like CG, they don't uh, do fake, like like computer generated animal cruelty just because of that. So they have let go of certain stuff. Yeah, <laughs> and then all those like 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 centipede horror and calamity of snakes and all, all of those movies. They 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 were a thing of uh, of a particular era. I mean, calamity of snakes, the Taiwanese movie, as a uh, you know as many as many snakes that gets it in that movie. You know, viciously just slaughtered in front of us. That's a fun terror ride of a movie because of the they they use real snakes in other scenes, but they don't slaughter them necessarily. They they just throw them at the actors, and it might not be comfortable for the snakes to be thrown around, but there's so much of them, and it's it's such a pulse increasing type of movie. Calamity of Snakes. Have you seen that at any point? Yeah. I've not. No. Ugh, whoa, <laughs> I mean, you've endured animal cruelty, so you can probably yeah. get through it, but it's a terror ride and a half, man, because um, actors we know, elder actors and young, just within all of these hundreds of hundreds of snakes uh, attacking them, it's it's quite marvelous for 1982 or 1983. It's a Taiwanese cinema doing very much the un-PC thing. Of uh, killing snakes in close-up, but uh, when they start to fake the scenario a little bit more, then, um, then 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 it's something. I don't know what is if it's considered cruelty to throw snakes around. I don't know if they 
if it's considered like they can so probably some money, I'm sure. Yeah. So again, it it's a movie that if the, it if it had supervision, it wouldn't have been made <laughs> necessarily. Yeah. But uh, do check it out. It's available out there in a widescreen version and all of that, so you can watch it. In full scope glory, snakes being crushed, 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 crushed. But anyway, uh, we've reviewed that on Taiwan War, so uh, check that episode out if you uh, if you like. But uh, as for availability of Gong Tao, how many hours Gong Tao? It was released by Asia Video on DVD and VCD after its cinema run. These two editions are unfortunately listed out of stock currently, so look for used copies. So um, so hopefully you don't need to look for. Um, online copies um and uh torrents and what have you but uh, there's no blue it's kind of a movie that's faded even in eight uh, nine years and it happens i mean asia video is not a label that um is uh a constant on the market so uh, there is that but um hey it's not our fault we're trying to talk modern movies and even they go out of print <laughs> so it's like come on give, give us a break so the listeners can watch the baby blowing up themselves. So, but, uh, but yeah, that's it. Uh, Herman keeps working, man. So um, don't remember if he um, since then did any movie akin to this. But he's been, you know, making cop movies and mob movies and comedies every now and again. He's always uh, got something interesting going on. There's rarely any Herman Yao sort of like uh, feel of repeating himself movie by movie there's always something something new going on and uh, interesting going on from hong kong the hong kong's premium heavy metal fan yes uh if you watch making off he's always got a band t-shirt on and he's still got his long hair he's his own man okay joshua should we move on to something more uh more pleasant to search for true love <laughs> a little bit lighter <laughs> or crazy love if you will uh, but guys, we'll be right back after the musical break and we'll talk of Loletta Lee's first venture into adult filmmaking. So uh, we'll talk of how Loletta Lee got it on in uh, Crazy Love from 1993. And uh, we we watched one of her nudie movies and that was Sex and Sin 2. So uh, she was in that with Shu uh, Kei and uh, uh, yeah. It's, it's not easy to remember Loletta Lee necessarily from that movie because it's a fun movie that's crazy all throughout. So it's just you just remember sort of the uh, the effects element and the uh, the dopey humor element. It was not like the movie focused solely on Loletta Lee. That was uh, one of her um, probably her better and her best category free moment uh, in Sex and Sam too. So check that out as well. But in the meantime, we'll take a musical break and we'll be back to discuss Crazy Love. <laughs> And welcome back in the second review of this. This week is least the 50th episode is Crazy Love from 1993 and plot from my review of the film, plus some notes scattered in, in the plot, if you will. So, first scene is Jane, played by Loretta Lee, in the shower. So those typical Hong Kong moviegoers arriving 15 minutes late, tough luck. <laughs> but there is more, folk. There's more to follow. And what follows is a series of barely and sometimes connected scenes having to do with Jane's journey uh, trying to figure out what type of love is right for her she is as a character a bit of a tease she's a free spirit and she's prone to dishing out jealousy uh, in in an irrational way 
Um, but she's also quite kind. She sends a couple of uh, her friends uh, on a trip to you to the UK, which she was supposed to go on because she can see they're in love. So she goes on her own solo adventure instead. That involves rapists, horny characters her age, and horny characters not her age. While all while the camera loves her, loose plot for the seventy-three minute uh, movie, mind you. Uh, but let's talk Loretta Lee, aka Rachel Lee. She was born in 1966 in Hong Kong, and at 17 or 18, uh, she was discovered and put into uh, the acting stable at Cinema City, making her debut in Clifton Coe's Merry Christmas, one of the few Hong Kong Christmas movies there is. Uh, with a girl next door image to build on, and she was at the time lumped together with a few actresses uh, in the company, and they were sort of dubbed the Happy Troop girls. Uh, so they were in movies uh, produced, um, you know, movies needed young talent, and uh, they were put in a variety of movies, and uh, they they were made to appeal, obviously, for young audience members, and uh, that's certainly something Loletta was uh, was part of. Uh, several classic, mo- classic movies and uh, fun movies, including Happy Ghost, It's a Mad, Mad, Mad World series, one through three, and uh, she also did a little bit of different, more artistic fare. She was in the Patrick Tam movie, Final Victory, featuring uh, Choi Hak in an acting role, in Mr. Vampire Saga 4, and Blessed His House for Ronnie Yu. That was by the time she also worked at uh, DMB. And um, but as both Cinema City and DMB were closing in on closing, because they both sort of went under all a year or two apart, uh, the turn of the decade more distinctly saw Loletta Levy actress, um, you know, emerging. She moved towards more dramatic fare. And while she she was in category three movies, not or everybody had nude content from her because she is in Remains of a Woman. My fear is that she probably made a very conscious move to category three movies, but she wasn't about teasing a la Amy Hip. Nope, we got it all. We got it all, uh, firmly and maybe for the first time, I think, in Crazy Love. And uh, she followed that up with movies like Girls on Button, which is, well, it is what it is. It's, it's made by Taylor Wong, one of those directors that can never make a movie that's like more than okay. It's usually like, well, it's okay. It's a little bit of a dull director, to be honest. He directed Sentenced to Hang, by the way. We looked at that once upon a time. The first mm-hmm. Hong Kong Category 3 movie. The, the Category 3 rating had been given to a Western movie just prior. Might have been, but my timeline might be off, so this is merely a theory. I think they might have given the Category 3... The, the first rating for a Western movie of that kind was for Lost Temptation of Christ. Mm. Might be. I might be wrong. Might be right. So we'll leave that open. But uh, she, uh, Girls on Button was uh, one of the movies she appeared in. And most famously, maybe, because it's a crazy and fun movie. Cash Chin's Sex and Sam 2, where the final scene sees her battling it out sexually with Shu Kei, whose monster character has a penis. So it's a Hong Kong. She got put into a crazy Hong Kong cinema, not, not just crazy love. Or crazy Hong Kong cinema. This didn't last forever, Joshua. She had her little um, category three stint for a few years, uh, and I don't know. Maybe she didn't break out as you know commercially as uh, as much as she maybe fought or the investors fought, producers fought, filmmakers fought. So she started to switch back to mainstream films around 1996. That included. Despite the title, it's not that kind of movie. Sexy and Dangerous for director Billy Tang of Red to Kill fame. It's a Category 2B movie. Uh, Sort of a response to Young and Dangerous, the triad movie rather than anything else. Uh, And that was with Francis. She also appeared with Francis in the classic triad satire Once Upon a Time in Triad Society. 
also around this time, in around the mid-90s, end of 90s, she got married. And there's a rumble in the research that I found that um, this life-altering decision and subsequently becoming a mother made Loletta regret her stint in Category 3. She uh, changed her English name to Rachel. And uh, there was even rumors uh, that she battled that she was uh, being very ill for for some uh, reason. Uh, not because she's changed her name. She's going to die. Uh. <laughs> it wasn't uh, that. But, you know, tabloids might be might have been after her to find whatever dirt they could uh, dig up. So, uh, But she was intent, though, she, to break through dramatically. She, just because she got married, she still wanted to work, which is not always the case. As you know, some actresses just drop uh, mm-hmm. from the industry and uh, focus on being a... Um, a housewife and a mother, which is uh, which is all fine. But her big break dramatically came in 1999 as she won the Best Actress Award at the Taiwanese Golden Horse Awards for her performance in Anhui's movie Ordinary Heroes. Can't remember much from it, but uh, but yeah, yes, she was good. Uh, you know, uh, she emerged. Uh, she's been working sporadically in films uh, since the new millennium. You can see her in Herman Yao's underrated Killing End. In uh, the debut of filmmaker Derek Kwok, who's the co-director of Gallants, uh, his debut was The Pie Dog. She's in that. And latest to date um, credit is um, sort of third billing in uh, a movie directed by Patrick Kong from 2015 called Anniversary. Patrick Kong apparently is sort of the king of rom-com currently, but the people I talk to on Facebook that watch m- new movies, no one really says they're good. So it's not like he's the, he's, um, P- Patrick is this expert at making us cheer for the tri-genre of romantic comedies. But um, but uh, that was her last credit to date. We go back to 1993, Joshua. Loletta Lee, you have, I'm sure you've seen her in a movie or two without registering like, oh my God, that actress I'm going to follow for life. But um, you might remember her now. So in short, Crazy Love, The Fruit is Ripe. What did you think of this uh, magnum opus? Well, you know, it's kind of like, He's going to say something funny now because he didn't (laughs) like the movie or or not. I don't know. Sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah. You pretty much nailed it. But no, no, uh, I was going to say some kind of pun about crazy love. I wasn't sure sure where I was going with it, but it it was going somewhere. It was mapped out and he ruined it for me. (laughs) I've been planning it and practicing all week. I had this great joke. I was going to bring the Leax back and talk about, you know, flying heads and giving head and, you know, uh, I fucking ruined it. Now it's all ruined, Kevin. <laughs> 50th episode and I broke him. I don't know. It, it reminds me of a lot of, um, like, of the Roman porno films and stuff like that, especially the ones that kind of are tangential. Like, you know, this one... Hey, hey, give, hey, give a little context just for people who do not know, and I'm going to tell you a stupid story about Roman porno afterwards. So what was Roman porno? Roman porno was uh, in the 1970s. In the early 1970s, most of the film studios were doing pretty bad up until about 1971. Whereabouts? In Japan. Did in Japan? Say Japan? Okay. Um, oh, I just missed it, but okay. Anyway, yeah, 1971 Japan, most of the big studios are doing kind of bad, but the one type of film that's actually selling over there are what they call pink films, which were like uh, mostly like almost student films that were very artistic but featured lots and lots of nudity, you know? The, the only way these young filmmakers were getting movies made is they were told, okay, you put seven sex scenes in it and you got yourself a budget to make a movie. Yeah, there was a strict list, which was very fascinating. I remember reading up on it, like, if you did six, you're fucked. <laughs> get, it to, get it to seven, you, you got the cash, kid. 
that was, you know, a popular type of film, so all the big studios decided to get in on it. Nikatsu, one of the oldest uh, Japanese film companies, they went and created a, a series of lines, but they created Roman Porno Line, which stood for Romantic Porno. And they weren't very romantic films. They were about 60 minutes in length, 70 minutes in length. Well, that's and, super romantic. In <laughs> each film, uh, you know, that it was very similar. They kind of were very experimental. You know, young filmmakers getting to try new things, try to create new types of film. And a lot of them, like especially the ones that went into the comedy-type territory... They would essentially almost be plotless and, uh, you know, see some young girl. She's kind of a cute girl next door and she goes through, you know, all these, you know, sexual adventures. And then by the end of the film, she finds love or something equally attainable. And then that's the end of the story. And that's basically very similar to what we have in this film, except this film probably features more topless nudity in the first half than, uh, <laughs> <laughs> what I remember, because normally, you know, you have the Roman porno, just like at least six girls, but in this, there's just one girl, and she's topless through the first half of the movie. Yeah, and minute one to boot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the 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 silly Roman porno story. I knew it was a Japanese genre, but not researching it. Just you know, walking around, looking around, not thinking about much other than making up stuff in my head and sort of theorizing Roman porno. Are they like Japanese? Sword and sandal movies only with <laughs> sex instead because Roman, Roman, yes. it didn't strike me yep. that it was. And that image of they did a lot of that stuff that sounds cool, like Japanese Caligula style, style movies only super low budget or whatever. And then it wasn't that, yeah, no, it's but it was a char- charming idea in my head at the time, yeah, it sounds great. That's you know, one of the first things I thought of too, but yeah. So, uh, as little as it is and how familiar to you as it is, reminding you of those movies, um, any good or not, the good fam- familiarity, if you will? It reminds me of some of the lesser films, to be honest. <laughs> like, uh, it, it reminds me of one that was put out by Synapse. Uh, I think it's called uh, I Like It From Behind! <laughs> Exclamation point. Which Joshua did it, so he... Threw it behind him into the garbage. There you that's go. a pretty lame review quote. But, uh, <laughs> I don't like it from behind anymore. I liked it before the movie. <laughs> I like it behind me. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, I, rem- I remember we talked about that like, like for a minute because you, you brought up the title and uh, we, we just sort of assumed that you were going to be the happiest man alive after the movie because it's short, it's that title, it's going to be great. Yeah, it has nothing to do with any of that. It's just some young girl just going through life, and she meets some guy, and they have sex for like four days straight, and it's it's just it's not a great movie. Day one, and they're like, it's literally. I think I've told you about it, but like, there's a point in the movie where the guy has like a plate of spaghetti on her back while he's doing it doggy style. And like eating the spaghetti, <laughs> something like that. That's the Roman porno for you. That's the Italian connection. Boom, done. Crazy love. It's more important, so to say, for the curious choice of seeing someone you watched the prior decade as a girl. You know, now a little bit more grown up, uh, go fully nude, and uh, you know, on the surface, it's nothing wrong with the story structure. It's a breezy, positive tale of finding love. Nothing wrong with that, and she is charming. I like her a lot. But boy, is it like strung together in such a basic way, man. 
at best mildly charming in a few scenes, but it barely holds together because it's sort of so basic. It's the type of film that they may not have had a script. Like, let's start here. Okay, now you're going to be going to the airport. Uh, you know, you be her friend. You know, okay, just give up your ticket. You're going to be a free spirit, you know? You know, imagine if it was 90, 95 minutes of basically strung together stuff. Ah, uh, yeah. Because it is 73 minutes long, man. And I, and I checked, like, the release history. Like, is this sort of, uh, is this print particularly shorter? Because... That was rare, man. They always seem to they 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 did the sort of IFT and Filmog thing of like it when it hit ninety minutes, boom, the end. I don't know. Uh, but but no, every release seems to be this length, including the Hong Kong laser disc. So I think this was what came out of the can. And why not? I mean, if it's a basic movie, then don't uh, overstay your welcome. Outstay your welcome. Yeah. So the, the running time makes me very very happy, um, and and it's not padded with a lot of comedy, a lot of like five extra perverts that she meets along the way or whatever. But but it, if we ask like the philosophical question, you know, the, what made her do category three? And uh, yeah, I, I touched upon it a little bit before, but my gut feeling is because I I don't think there's extensive um, coverage of this. It seems like a conscious choice and not a desperate decision because not all established names. Some, but not all, were, were drawn to this, you know, like flies. It's not like Jack Chan and Jaya Fat uh, went and did Category 3 because that's the only way you make money. To be honest, as commercial as the genre was, it wasn't commercial gold every time, Joshua. Some movies from this era were kind of pathetic because they were so... They just wanted to belong. They just wanted to uh, capitalize. But it was prolific, this era, uh, with these kind of movies, softcore porn comedies, and um, they made money at points, and uh, the industry took note. Uh, The industry might have sort of, they might not have wanted to have anything to do with Category 3, but eventually they gave a Best Actor award to someone in this kind of movie, um, Anthony Wong, Untold Story. You know, it was recognized, uh, but I still feel she made her own decision because her career wasn't that bad or anything. Uh, I really hope so, because if it's her own decision, then there's nothing depressing, obviously, about seeing her here. And since they made a light movie, that that adds to that theory, in my opinion, that uh, this was probably her, because it isn't a rapey movie or anything where she's uh, pummeled and abused and terrorized for 73 minutes or anything because she's um, usually quite a happy-go-lucky isn't she yes yeah the, the whole movie she's got a little smile on her face and even when she's breaking up or <laughs> what have you with the love of her life she still seems fairly okay about everything so uh we got boobs and bush early yeah 30 seconds in uh so as they probably said to themselves, no use beating you about the bush. <laughs> Just show it. You gotta show it immediately. So <laughs> co- contrast, uh, shall we say, like this with, uh, depressing ones we've seen multiple times with <laughs> Pauline Chan and what have you. Yes. This is a little bit better. This, this doesn't make you feel like you're a horrible human being for witnessing it. Lesla doesn't look into the camera and like says help. Yeah, like <laughs> her poor soul is being taken by the, the audience. So, so what kind of character do we get here? Uh, when when she's out of the shower, is she um, like an introverted girl? Who, um, what kind of character do and uh, what kind of family interaction is there at the beginning of the movie? Uh, she's an extroverted girl with uh, uh, sex and adventure on her mind. Uh, it starts off. I don't remember the family. She has work. Well, well, well. The family has uh, uh, Buddhist monks in the house to uh, determine, determine the, uh, the feng shui. 
wow, they'd never go back to the family in the movie at all, do they? <laughs> like, you actors, you've done your bit. Now fuck off and go home. Wow. Do your other movie. Like, wow. Yeah, so she she exits her um, bathroom completely topless. You know, she she covers up her bottom half, and they have a, a, a monk in the house who's, like, checking the feng shui. You know, he's trying to give advice, and he has, like, an eight-year-old with him, and she exits the bathroom and doesn't cover up at all. And just kind of like, you know, goes, hey, look at my boobs. And they're like. She's very like, hi. She's very courteous, man. She's courteous. She says, hi, you're supposed to. She doesn't shake her hand, mind you. But they're like, hey. Courteous, yeah. She's supposed to say hi. She's well brought up, man. So so, so the, so the monks obviously uh, get the sight of their life as they come out. They're, they're, they're pretty happy, those two. Yeah. The kid wants to keep looking. He keeps, you know. And if, you know, ha ha moment, and he keeps looking around the uh, hand that covers up his eyes, and then of course the old man wants to sleep with her. Well, well, he wants to talk to her privately about the uh, Buddhist uh, Buddhist matters. <laughs> he says, "Can I date your daughter? I'd, I'd like to talk to her." He said, "What he said? I forget what he said, but he said something that let it know he wanted to like talk to her privately or whatever about the, the Buddhist teachings that that I have in my pants." Uh, <laughs> So, so yeah, but 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 it sort of it opens like light and fluffy, and it's it's adult, even though it doesn't involve involve adults. Um, so you got a kid in there. I'm not sure they were in the same shot ever, so they might have uh, spared a kid of that. Uh, of that, uh, even though it's a wonderful sight. But um, so so yeah, the theme is established because she calls her boyfriend and uh, he doesn't answer the phone. So she wants the security of uh, love and companionship, and she's disappointed when her boyfriend isn't there. So she's human, Joshua, and she's sort of kind she's got the need for others in her mind you know the airport scene she exchanges her ticket and uh, let the uh, lovers go on the trip of their life hopefully so there's nothing wrong with the positivity here i think right right and so she then goes back to see her boyfriend after the you know she cancels her plane she finds a, a dramatic scene at the house she enters trauma arc of crazy love. And, uh, she, yeah, right. <laughs> she finds uh, that her boyfriend has been cheating, and uh, that he and the girl are locked in the little what would you call it, like a little uh, wardrobe, you know, shelf or whatever. They're they're locked in there, and of course she slams the door on the two of them. And what what happens after that, kid? Oh, I'll tell you. She, 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 when when they open back the door, the guy has like a red mark on his nose, and then the girl that he was cheating with or whatever, both of her boobs are red from the you know slamming of the door. <laughs> it affects people, but, uh, oh. but yeah. So she goes on the run in her little own adventure, and uh, we got some familiar faces uh, here that she encounters. Uh, Tommy Wong is the first one she encounters at the airport. Um, and uh, Tommy Wong, regular of Ringo Lam movies and what have you, a oh, uh, very good uh, supporting actor. So uh, t- Tommy is the kind of character that uh, he sees, uh, you know, he says goodbye to his wife at the airport, and then. I was going to say this movie reminds me a lot of uh, City on Fire. Yes, and that is uh, exactly one of the movies he did. He plays one of the um, uh, robbers in that one. He's in Wild Search, plays the, the partner of uh, Giant Fat, uh, uh, multiple uh, Ringo Lamb movies, and, and a good comedic actor, too. So he, he has got a little bit of a uh, wacky role because um, he uh, he says goodbye to his wife at the airport, and then he sees Loletta, and obviously he's uh, he wants to flirt with her. And the, the mildly interesting thing about her is that she she she's not naive. She plays 
men. You know, she she can play to their weakness, even though she does show off herself to men. But, and, uh, and we know that Hong Kong men are the weakest of all men when it comes to sexuality. It's hard to argue with that. Uh, so so they go to his uh, house because uh, she she acts like, oh, I'll go with you, of course. Like he's like he's some sort of smooth talker, which he obviously is. And, uh, this, this, uh, and he says like he's a film director or something. Like, okay, let's go into the movies then. Like he, he thinks his talk is like working for the first time, probably. <laughs> the, the talk is working. And uh, then she meets... Um, um, uh, he's uh, made uh, them some drinks, and then she's already topless in his uh, garden. What do you think of that, like character trait of hers? Is that like uh, is she uh, is she playing men well, or is that way too way too far, like to go to just to teach someone a lesson? I, I mean, was it fun? No. That's fun. Yeah, <laughs> I think that uh, yeah, for the story, yeah, it, it makes enough sense. But you know. For the viewer, I don't know. I mean, if she's just constantly topless, at what point does it become special? You know, it's just like she's every scene so far in the movie. She's she's spent more time topless than she has, you know, in clothing. And and I love by the way the little dialogue because Tommy is very very funny. Um, she, uh, I think uh, Jane asks uh, him like, "Who was the girl at the airport?" Like, "Oh, that was just some blind girl that I helped." <laughs> 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 okay like full waterproof like yeah, story like i, I got, got this. this and and uh, she she's conti- i i actually think this is one of my favorite scenes in the movie like she she uh, pulls him in to like can you hear my heart beating like listen really closely and obviously the heart is near the boobs and all of that so um so so, so yeah it, it's it's that kind of thing and then um then he gets his comeuppance i guess because uh the wifey comes back and uh all of that so maybe it's the wife that asks like who's that girl oh it's some blind girl that i help but the blind girl is naked in the garden maybe it was that way around but uh, uh, the story is still pathetic like the excuse is still <laughs> Is it too episodic though to like uh, become like like a coherent sort of thing? Absolutely, <laughs> it's very very episodic. Like uh, to the point where you know just just going over it here, it's like oh I forgot that her family was even in it. What the hell happened there? You know, it, it never goes home again. Never, no. Just seems to like keep going from people's house to people's house. You know, which I guess you know it's part of her being an adventure, but uh, it's 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 very strange. Not even at the end of the movie does she return, you know? No, exactly. It's just sort of uh, well, we see the shower scene again, but right. that doesn't that that that's the same shower scene. So, <laughs> so it's not like uh, I'm home, I'm taking a shower again. Are the, are the monks here? I want to say hi to them. Uh, but but yeah, it it doesn't uh, give the feel of something deep and poignant. It's just sort of strung together, made up on the spot, as you said. While it's not padded, one thing that they add to a movie that isn't necessary is the three or four scenes where she talks into the tape recorder about what just happened, even though we know 100% for certain what happened and what the internal turmoil or lack of internal turmoil there was in that scene. So that's that's padding, and that's pretty pretty bad, actually. The only charming thing about it is that it's not a little smooth, uh, smooth little uh, tape recorder. It's 1993, people. This thing is... Uh, you know, the size of a couple of iPhones or something like that, you know. So, so it's more, it's obviously, it's, it's commercialism going on there. They're trying to string together something that they could market, like, Loletta Lee, she's nude, and this yeah. is the movie. And, uh, 
Um, so, so, so yeah, I mean, even little minor scenes of Ronan, they're like she's walking on the road and she steps in, you know, some, some animal that's pooped up a street. So she tries to get the, the, it off her shoes and then she falls over in the grass like she's exhausted after stepping in shit <laughs> and never seen ants. Yeah, a little bit like we're walking on the road. Oh, look at that. A dog stepped, uh, a, a dog shat. Well, let's use that for art. And, uh, so, so yeah, it's sloppily strung together in a way, even though she is charming and it hinges a lot on her presence. So do, do, do you think she comes through like un, un, unscathed, if you will, uh, okay, or, 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 or does her act appear tired? No, I'd say she's the reason to, you know, watch the movie. She is bubbly. There are moments where you generally like her character and there's parts of it where you start to, you know, kind of, you know, like the whole sequence with her and the two lovers or whatever who are, you know, so open about their sexuality and stuff. You start to get kind of a feeling like, oh, maybe the movie's going in this direction with her. Maybe she's such a free spirit and you kind of get that vibe from her. So, you know, she keeps you watching. So you can't fault her anything no I, I think she considering how, how the movie is strung together she is putting an effort and um, yeah. and uh, b- before she meets the hippie uh, and uh, his uh, temporary lover uh, th- th- that guy that be the guy he's in you put sent to he plays the um, the main character of you put sent to prior to his penis transplant meets this uh, robber who says he goes into he robs uh, you know houses where women are sleeping and he has sex with them or something and uh, the main character of you put sent like look looks at him as his idol <laughs> and he he informs that you're not going to get anywhere in the world until you get a a, a proper a proper organ. That is what happens. Uh, he always had this that 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 tra- that that beard was always constant in his relatively relatively few movie roles. I think his name is Joe Chung or something like that. But uh, anyway, uh, there, there are good men and bad men. There are some lecherous men. Uh, you know, Loretta Lee means meets two uh, uh, guys who. Uh, drive around in this, in this douchey jeep <laughs> and she pretends to be japanese so they think like oh yeah we got an opportunity here and then they uh they they, they turn out to be the cackling type of rapists that we get in these movies <laughs> they're literally like they go from like normal guys to like full-on rapists and like 3.6 seconds they go you know okay wow you know she's really cute yeah it'd be really great if we pulled over and raped her yeah you're right you know it's like, like whoa guys hey you can be nice to someone for once, yeah, guys geez. in cinema but uh, that's not commercial gold it, it doesn't feature a rape scene they, they tore they tear her clothes off so she's not even nude in that scene i think they it's just it's just her back so some restraint but it's it's pretty dope yeah. like come on like what does she do to him? What does she, she do to him, Ken? Well, she uh, she or she takes the jeep. Uh, I don't remember if they she did anything to them, but she steals the jeep. So she kicked them in the dicky. Oh yeah, <laughs> not inspired, but uh, you know, tick lecherous men, they're there. So uh, and uh, one man uh, sitting having a picnic with, with his wife or something, going to cardiac arrest, watching her nude. So there, there's men who haven't seen boobs in like. 50 years that they react widely so the little like bits bits and like thrown in there they're not great but little bits are like hey well, okay uh, moving on 73 minutes we're like 40 minutes in it's all good and when she meets the hippie and uh, the, the 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 woman he's with currently he seems to you know feature a rotating cast of women in his life uh, she, she she's sort of like i'm way i want happy things to happen to me oh people having sex in the next uh, hotel, hotel room next to me 
Let's go watch them. Yeah, let's climb over the thing, the balcony, and just go over there and watch them have sex. The, the refreshing thing is you you never see women do that in movies. No, yeah. You know, it's always men like, oh. and she just sits there like like a kid almost like, mm-hmm. yep, I'm looking at you. It's not like she sits there like, whoa, whoa, mm-hmm. you fuck her, like, fuck her, good. No, <laughs> it's just like when they see her, like, hey, what's up? Yeah. <laughs> so so there's no like oh my god who are you a stranger and like they pull out a gun and like shoot her in the head nope I, I, I like to watch how are you doing <laughs> what's up <laughs> sequences like that that could be very dopey like at, at least when they feature her mm-hmm. for a brief bursts that these sequences sometimes represent at least she's in it and she's she's yeah. infectious uh various dialogue is that comes through in these interactions with the hippie it's not deep or pointed, but sometimes the dialogue is, well, they're right. Because he says, despite moving through at least two women in this movie, the hippie says, well, love without feeling or emotional connection is bad. Even if you just do a surface thing like that and say it, at least that is correct. You know, Love without feeling or emotional connection is a bad thing. At, at, at least as basic as the movie is, Joshua. At least it says things that are correct, in, in my opinion, for life. I don't know how you view these things. No! no! No feeling, no emotional connection. That rules. I'm getting married soon. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I don't know if you took notice of that, but I was, you know, being the pos- positive guy that I am. I thought, like, hey, well said, well said, sir. Uh, she she meets her uh, she meets her lover. Uh, do you think they're uh, eventually? The, the I don't know what his profession was, but uh, the guy she eventually sets her sight on. Was he an artist or some crap like that? I don't know. He had a lot of free time though. You know, their interaction is, is it anything in terms of the romantic comedy aspect? They eat chili together and all of that. Is it any fun watching these two interact back and forth? Not really. <laughs> I mean, it's nothing that you haven't seen before. And it's such a, it's, it's so strange that this becomes like the, the love of her life. And we get basically just one little compilation of scenes that kind of like explains their relationship with them, you know, going out, doing all this stuff while happy music plays. And then shortly thereafter, they're you know it's right back in. Okay, we're gonna now we're gonna throw the drama in there, and you know what's gonna break them up. It's very fast tracked, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's like okay, we went through the movie, we got all this nudity in here. Okay, let's just figure out where we're going with the plot. Yeah, we've only got seventy three minutes. Let's get yeah. everything in really quickly. Um, I, I agree. There's nothing particularly sweet or charming seeing these two. Uh, it's harmless, but it's yeah. not not something I remember. I mean, it, the, the the thing I do remember is the silly truth or dare game with the coke bottle where he asks her to demonstrate on a coke bottle how to suck a pee pee and it's such it's, it's, it's such a like i'm keeping it pg-13 here Thank uh, you. it's such a strange thing to demonstrate on a bottle that's you know partly thin partly thick <laughs> you know it, it just looks looks stupid to demonstrate like blowjob skills on a bottle you know what i mean like yeah it just looks this is stop it stop it <laughs> It's like almost on purpose unsexy, but um, when they do have their sex scene, uh, you know, at least there is some demonstration of decent eroticism on display here. It's shot and performed well, uh, despite like other Category 3 movies set their sex scenes in as plain of a room as we get here. But at least it's there's some cinematography going on here. At least there's some tenderness here. There's at least there's some sensuality on display here. Um, but because the movie doesn't, you know, throw this at us throughout this nudity, yes. But there's relatively few sexual scenes, you know, sensual scenes. And it doesn't outstay his welcome hybrid. So we're 
It's over quickly. <laughs> That's not a slight against him. It's just a scene that doesn't last 10 minutes. Um, and then as you said, jealousy, irrational jealousy crops up. She tells that to her tape recorder. And none of that stuff gets our pulse going. We, we don't, we like her, but we don't care that much if they get together or not. I, I didn't anyway. I mean, it happens, but it's just, it, it's very cookie cutter romantic drama. At 73 minutes, it was over before you know it, because it's one of those things, I have a few more notes, but it's one of those things, a scene happens, cut to the shower scene, she says a little thing about what she learned, boom, over, oh, oh yeah, it was 73 minutes, all right, no wonder it's over, all right, it almost took me by surprise, man, that, ah, okay, moral story, and she's out there to shower scene again, credits, I'm done with my notes. That's it. What am I going to do for the rest of the evening? I had this whole <laughs> evening planned out for work, now it's over. I basically only have one more note there. You got Tommy Wong in there, as I said, and you also got Ching Fuyon in there uh, in a scene playing some, some dopey character. He's not a triad, triad man. And, uh, for one, for, for one particular reason, he sings, I think he's walking with her in like the hotel, uh, yeah. hallway and he sings this song. <laughs> like uh, he said, you are easily to be quartered. Is the song lyrics in the translation? <laughs> you e- you are easily to be quartered. Okay, what does that mean? And then he says daft things like, obviously they've taken the subtitles on this print we watched from the cinema ones. Daft things like, uh, which made me sort of like, I don't know what goes on with Xing Fuyong's character. He says like, I'm a hero against Hooker. Huh? <laughs> what? I don't know what that means. <laughs> Are you against prostitution or are you a hero for hookers? Do, do they like, okay, the movie's over and his role is over now. So, so yeah, it's, it's a very simplified over before you know it's without her. This would have been, uh, close to a disaster, I think, because there's barely any filmmaking going on here, but, <laughs> but she, she put forth her, you know, her best, you know, she gave, she gave the audience what they wanted yeah. and she's uh, charming and, uh, she look, I mean, she looks great. She always looked great, but it's, if anything, I'll take away the fact that the camera does love her. That's something to take away from it. Crazy Love only comes recommended if you're interested in her and what kind of career sort of trajectory someone like her could take in Hong Kong cinema. This was an option. Her career didn't sink because of this, because she won an award later. So there's positivity in the movie and positivity in the career. So no harm, no foul, really, uh, especially at 73 minutes. I agree. I mean, I, it's not anything that you can really go out of your way to recommend. Like, oh, check this out. This is Cat 3 Cinema in a nutshell. You don't want to do that. but In a way, it is Category 3 Cinema in a nutshell. But yeah, the, worth, <laughs> the part of it that's not always that great. But uh, it is, like I said, harmless. It's kind of fun. So just kind of sit back and enjoy the ride. And seek out Sex and Sense 2 or anything if you want to watch, like, her, you know, great, big, energetic, mad Hong Kong movie, you know. Yeah, you got a ride ahead of you if you haven't seen Sex and Sense 2. Uh, okay, as for availability, the wide site DVD and VCD, which presumably came with burned-in subtitles from a cinema print, because most of their DVDs did. But that is still available in Hong Kong, but, um, and I'm sure it looks great for a decent price, like about 10 US dollars or whatever. Uh, but uh, if you want to seek out, um, it, it's harder, but there, there was a better-looking presentation out there. And if you don't need English subtitles, that presentation was courtesy of the Japanese company Twin who put out a, it was a non-anamorphic letterbox transfer, but it uh, had optional subtitles, and we watched the version where someone had put 
English subtitles on that. So uh, it's a little bit uh, better looking and sharper version than any cinema print. But if you find a VCD or even a laser disc, that's all fine. And it was subtitled and widescreen in Hong Kong as well. So Japanese, they always went for sometimes to sort of obscure movies and source like good prints of them and including so crazy love. They, she might have achieved a decent amount of popularity in Japan, and that's why. Uh, sometimes leading ladies that weren't as big in Hong Kong, uh, adult actresses or not, they had a following a following in Japan that was bigger than uh, than Hong Kong. So it happens sometimes, and therefore DVD releases, way better ones than in Hong Kong would uh, would arrive. So next time, I thought we'd do a connected double bill of a newer movie and an older movie again, but. We'll do it this way instead. Uh, we're going to talk first of, uh, or maybe second, depending on how we, how we feel. But regardless, one of the movies we are going to talk about is Pang Ho Chung's 2012 comedy Bulgaria, which is about re, remaking the 1976, uh, period erotica movie Confessions of a Concubine. And that movie is available to us as well. So we're looking at both movies, the original movie and the movie about remaking the movie. So we got another movie about making category three movies added to our list of like five or six by now. Oh, yeah. So maybe that will become lead again there in Joshua. <laughs> Funny thing is they put out Confessions of a Concubine on DVD in Hong Kong and it always comes English subtitled. This one didn't. But thankfully someone put an English dub on Confessions of a Concubine, because at one point it was sold to the West. So it was uh, dubbed. And one of the AKAs for the movie was, I think, I Want More. That was like the title, maybe international title of Confessions of a Concubine. I Want More. And it has more, it had more modern music, maybe more soul music, a little more more like Bao Chica Bao Chica Bao music (laughs) for a period erotica. Uh, And Bulgaria, I don't know much about it other than, People in generally thought that was a very funny movie. Pang Ho Chung, uh, director of You Shoot, I Shoot. Uh, uh, A.V., uh, Men Suddenly in Black, um, Isabella and the likes. Uh, acclaimed filmmaker, can be very funny. Uh, Dream Home, of course. That was uh, yeah, Pang Ho Chung. And I know it also in some shape or form, and I don't remember this from the 1976 erotica, but, uh, but Bulgaria apparently in some shape or form has some, not animal abuse uh, content, but... Uh, uh, animal erotica content, if you will, because there's a donkey on the poster. Oh, shit. So you wonder, is uh, they're going to surpass Clerks 2 in terms of animal erotica content, or what? Are, what is there? I'm full, hoping for full-on Emmanuel in America. That's what I'm going for. Oh, is that the high standard of um, animal love in movies? Oh, yeah, yeah. The girl jack- jacks off a horse in it. Great stuff. <laughs> <laughs> like a 10 minute sequence what's that it's uh it's a couple minutes you know like emmanuel of course she, she walks around and you know goes from sequence to sequence looking at things and there she goes to this barn there's this girl there and she watches watches things get a little freaky and then in the end like a senator from the u.s gets her high on lsd and like takes her to south america and watches like four women get raped and murdered Crazy movie. So it's uh, Emmanuel in North and South America. <laughs> <laughs> yep. We have been doing This Week in Sleep 50. What a party it was. Um, I drank some water. That was, that was uh, some hardcore partying for you. And uh, that's that's the kind of things that old men do. We just keep it uh, <laughs> keep it chill, I guess. Uh, but uh, regardless, you know, 
I might as well say thank you, Joshua, for staying with me from like episode seven or eight or onwards or six or seven and all the way up to 50, buddy. You did almost everybody. I um, I branched out to do some solo shows like two times because I was so mad at you for being busy educating yourself for a better life. I was mad. Oh, I'm dead. But uh, no, no, I wasn't. No, I wasn't. I just wanted to add some add some episodes to the pipeline. But thank you, buddy, for staying on until 50 and I hope to get you for... Another 50 or at least one more. We'll, we'll do, we'll do one episode at a time and see how we feel about each other after that. Still good? Still good? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Cool. Still cool. Haven't offended each other with uh, different views on politics or anything like that? No, cool. not so far. So let's finish this one off. This has been this week in Sleaze on the podcast on Fire Network. We are located on podcastonfire.com. This show and all our other shows on uh, Hong Kong cinema, Korean cinema, Japanese cinema, and what have you. Available on that site. We also do bonus episodes every now and again. We should find a boner episode to do in the future, you and I, because they're always, always fun and they're ex- exclusive to the website. Email us if you have any questions or feedback. Have you seen the upcoming, uh, uh, well, Bulgaria? Have you seen that? And uh, tell us about it as we research our up- upcoming show. Uh, join us over on social uh, and by the way that was a podcast on fire at googlemail.com join us over on social media use the handy buttons at the top of our website to our facebook to our twitter to our itunes feed as well as to stitcher radio uh, which uh, once you reach their website search us out or download the application from the apple app store or google play i write about hong kong and taiwanese movies of various genres old and new at sogoodreviews.com I also video review at sleazykvideo.com and my Twitter handle is at SoGoodReviews and ShelfLifeClothing.com for some cool t-shirts. The Caucasians t-shirt, I think, that and hoodie. And uh, I think he does a variety. He does the demo for men and women. So um, maybe for babies as well, if you have a newborn baby. <laughs> You can you can put him in a him or her you know Caucasians T-shirt. Uh, maybe that's more relevant than ever, considering the climate we're at in this world now. That uh, satire is always gonna that Brian constructed uh, designing that T-shirt. That satire is always gonna hit some people irrationally, but hopefully it creates conversation too, proper rational conversation. So buy one, Joshua. Go out in the street and see how many rational conversations you can find. <laughs> Probably not that many. You do a sporadic podcast we didn't mention it before. Do you want to get a mention in? Out of yeah, it? the Trashy Trio. Look us up on Google. You'll find it. We have a backlog of episodes. We never seem to find time to record, but when we do, it's, it's always fun. Including some uh, Roman porno or... Absolutely. Sorry, or, or some pinky, rapey, not-so-romantic movies. <laughs> we have, well, Roman porno. I mean, we did... Um, I'm trying to think what the official title for Rape Bus is. It always uh, well, alludes well, me. Says it all. Yeah, <laughs> White Rose Campus, and then everybody gets raped. That's the name what was the movie you and I did for this show about that rapist? And it ended in this sort of uh, this scene where with a lot of like feathers and shit. It was also a short, short oh, movie. Oh, we did... Um... What did we do? We didn't do it. Because the fun. first movie was like terrifying high school, blah, 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 blah. And then the second movie was this horrible <laughs> rapist movie. <laughs> it's a Hasabe film with uh, the guy who gets his teeth knocked out and his face raped. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that, that, that says it all. Let, let's just call it that. The guy who got his face beat up and uh, his face raped. The movie. Yeah. The movie. Yeah. <laughs> it was like a 60, 70 minute movie as well. They all know. are. <laughs> And ticked all the boxes, probably, that you need to get in that movie. Then you can do whatever dark shit you want, so, apparently. Uh, but tra- Treasure Trio, uh, links are available in the show post. And uh, let's, um, let's let, let, as I sign off here, let us track back to the first uh, 
first movie like uh, let's stop the fucking put our intestines and head back where they're supposed to be and be on our way getting back to mystics in bali and crap like that oh yeah baby. so uh yep i've been sleazy game with it was the great lord joshua eagle send us out buddy oh goodbye everybody <laughs>